When Becky was 14, she wasn't happy with her body. So in her diary, she made a list of things to improve. If I could have thinner thighs, a smaller butt, bigger boobs, a flatter stomach, clearer skin, longer hair, be taller, have a thinner waist, smaller hips, better legs, a thinner back, be tanned, have bigger lips and less freckles, then I think my self-esteem would be so much better. That's Becky with some teenage ideas to boost her self-esteem. I'm Dan Meisner, and this... This is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids. Hello, how are you doing? This is a show where we go back in time to remember the good, the bad, and the awkward parts of growing up. This time, recorded live in Halifax, we have fan fiction about public transit, parents who snoop, and the artificial insemination of a cow. This stuff is weird, it is wonderful, and it can help us understand who we are today. So think about who you were when you were a kid, and stick around. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Before she moved to Nova Scotia, Tony grew up in rural Newfoundland, and she documented a lot of that growing up in her diary. At her Halifax show, Tony shared an entry that she wrote on the very last day of summer, the night before she started grade seven. A quick heads up, Tony's diary does include a few cuss words, which we do not bleep. There's your heads up. Here's Tony. Dear Diary... Tomorrow is the first day of grade seven, and I will then become, for the first time, a mature young adult. (laughs) Tonight is the last night of summer, and Sarah and I, after much hard work, managed to get a six-pack of Labatt Blue for tonight. Our plan is to go to our spot by the fish plant, bring the stereo, first we gotta get the batteries, and get fucking loaded. Mom already said that Sarah could stay over, and we asked Steve, Sarah's dad, that if she could stay over, and he said yes. We didn't tell any of our friends about tonight because we only have five beer. We had to give one to the buyer, else he wouldn't pick it up for us. (laughs) And five beer is only enough for me and Sarah. Sarah even went to the store and bought cups for the beer, like actual beer cups. And I stole a smoke from Pop because you gotta have a dart with a beer. Or or at least that's what I heard. (laughs) Mom told me to come home at 10.30 at my summer curfew hours. And me and Sarah agree we'll start drinking when it gets dark. I'll be 13 in a couple of weeks, so I know that I am mature and responsible and nothing can go wrong tonight. (laughs) Woohoo! Grade 7, here we come. Got to go get polluted. Talk later, Tony. (laughs) More. So this was the night, the, day, the night after I wrote again. So, last night was a shit show. 
It started out okay. Sarah told me she could chug and that I couldn't beat her. So together, I tried to chug the beer and she chugged hers. We had a whole bottle gone in a few minutes. I felt sick, but opened up another one. A four-wheeler drove by and we had to hide away behind the crab pots. <laughs> then a truck drove by. Fuck, we were shipmates. <laughs> Sarah said we should chug what we have left and go somewhere else. And just like that, the beer was gone. Idra had drank beer before once or twice, but this time I think I was drunk. Everything seemed really funny. <laughs> we started walking over the road and decided to stop into the shop and get a little lunch and go sit on the wharf. Sarah was being a mush brain and wouldn't go get Lay's chips with me because according to her father, Lay's chips give you cancer. <laughs> anyway, we left the shop and headed to the wharf and for some good reason thought we should climb up on top of the crab pots. Sarah was climbing ahead of me when all of a sudden she rose her leg up to reach to the top. Wind rip, the whole arse came out of her pants and Sarah's bright white ass was almost sitting on my face. <laughs> I almost pissed myself laughing, but no, instead, I fell off the crab pots onto the ground, scraping up my hands, but it was all so comical. I was laughing so hard, and then, out of nowhere, I threw up the last of the beer all down over myself. <laughs> Christ's sakes, this was it. Sarah's arse was out, and I was covered in beer. We went from laughing to terror, realizing we had to go home at some point. My mother wasn't a knob. She knew for sure we were on the beer. <laughs> Tony, I can't stay out here like this. Suze was right. We decided to call the night, run to my room, change our clothes, clean up, and just go to fuck the bed. We started briskly walking over the road just as fast as we could fucking suffer. And just as we almost got home, a truck pulled up beside us. It was our buddy Nate and his father, Noble. Sarah, my dear, go home. There's a big old rip in the back of your pants. <laughs> and Tony, what happened to you? Oh, dirt out over you. Two little fucking streels, Noble said. We were so embarrassed. We ran into my house, didn't even say hi to mom and dad, just up over the fucking stairs. Sarah put on her PJs and I changed into some clean clothes. I am never drinking again, Sarah said, starting to cry. My mother swung open the door. Startling Sarah, she rolled off the bed onto the floor. <laughs> what in the name of Jesus is wrong with the two of you? <laughs> Nathan saw my arse, Sarah said. My mother rolled her eyes, oh, very good, and started to close the door. Sarah, for God's sakes, get up off the floor. <laughs> well, that was the last time I am ever chugging beer again. I have entered a new chapter in my life. P.S. I didn't know Sarah was even allowed to wear thongs. It must be because she's eight months older than me. <laughs> I'm asking mom if I can get some sexy, haha. -ha. <laughs> when we went to school today, we all sat in our desks and were waiting for Mrs. Gardner to come down. And when she did, she came in and asked us how all of our summers were. And then Nathan piped up. Well, miss, I don't know about the summer, but last night, you wouldn't believe it, I saw a full moon. <laughs> Sarah put her head on the desk, banging it softly. I'm going to die. <laughs> well, that's all for now. God bless Green Day and Danny Williams. XOXO Tony. <laughs> Our next reader, Emily, grew up on a small hobby farm in Antigonish County. 
Her parents worked day jobs, but they always had a few animals on the property. Cows and horses and pigs. And one day, when Emily was 11... The artificial insemination guy came to breed their cow. Please welcome to our stage, Emily. Joe Vandevoc is the name of the artificial inseminator. As an adult, his nickname was the county cow f***er. <laughs> so, I didn't call him that at 11. Saturday, May 23rd, 1991. I get up this morning at 8.15. I asked Dad if I could walk over to Grandma's, and he said I could. I walked to Grandma's, and I saw some people picking, <laughs> picking bottles in the ditch along the way. <laughs> Grandma asked me to do her hair when I got there and also put that weird, that weird vibrating massager on her back and neck. I don't like doing either, but she's so cranky that she would tell me I'm lazy if I didn't do it. One of the workers from Newfoundland came to the house looking for some money. Grandma told him that he already got his pay and said that he should think about what he does with his money because a pay is actually meant to last a whole week. <laughs> Dad picked me up from there around one. Later on, Joe Vandevoc came over. I woke Dad up because he was taking a nap when I saw his van pull in the driveway. Dad and I went up to the barn. When we got there, Joe pulled out a book with pictures of bulls in it. He said, Jesus Christ, Lionel, I got some real nice stuff today. That fellow there, pointing at a picture of a bull from Ontario, he has some beauty calves, throws big ones. <laughs> Dad picked one, and then Joe put on a glove that went up to his armpit. <laughs> After that, he pulled a long rod from what looked like a bucket with smoke coming from it. He then took his arm with the rod in his hand and put it up the cow's bum. Ah! Poor Ginger. She bawled. After some poking, he took his arm out. The glove was full of hot, steamy, and stinky manure. He packed up his stuff and said he'd come back to see if the cow took. I don't even know what that means. I'm in bed now. A lot of the writing that we hear on stage used to be private, secret even. And that's particularly true of diaries. A lot of kids treat their diaries as confidants, a kind of place to share their most intimate thoughts and feelings, the kinds of things you might not ever share with another human being. When Becky was 14, she used her journal to do exactly that. She confided about all kinds of things, her family, her love interests, and her experiments with drugs. A quick heads up, Becky's journal entries do include some cuss words, which we do not bleep. There's your heads up. Here's Becky. October 1993. I wish I had started a diary sooner. So much has happened. I'm in grade nine now, and life is complicated. I started drinking and smoking, and I'm sort of cool. I'm also in love. Well, I really like this guy. Like, a lot. All I know is he's gorgeous, he's a wicked kisser, has great hands. 
and he has peach fuzz on his ass. Yeah, I love him. I definitely love him. March. I can't believe I tried hash and acid. I just pray to God that my mom never finds out. What will happen if my mom ever finds out? What will she say? What if she finds out when I'm like 25 or 30 and she finds out I lied to her for five years about what I was doing and where I was? Oh well, I'll deal with that when the time comes. I wonder when I'm a mom and I look back on these years, what will I think? Probably just that I wanted to be cool and fit in. Maybe that's true. God, I wonder if when my kids ever do drugs and drink underage, what I'll say. June, I can't stand living here. It is living hell. My whole family is against me and I hate them. I just had an hour talk with Susan, my mother. <laughs> she doesn't appreciate me, respect me, or think I'm good enough. She basically said I should be a homebody like my brother and sister. She also says I should see a shrink because I'm always mad. Well, I'm always mad because she makes me mad. Fine, I'm a mad child. She thinks she's in control of me? Well, when she leaves tomorrow, I'll be so happy. I'm gonna get piss loaded so I can forget all about her and her stupid rules. November. This is it. This is where my diary stops. I've decided that my mother knows the contents of my diary. She must have read it. How else would she know about me sniffing whiteout and doing acid? I know that in a way it was good because the drinking and a lot of the drugs have stopped. But what an invasion of privacy. I feel so violated. I'm so embarrassed. She knows about my personal and intimate feelings. Those are for my knowledge only, not hers. I'd love to keep a diary. I can always get calmed down by writing and now I can't. Mom, if you're reading this, I can't believe you would stoop so low. You think I was mad before? This makes me mad. So mad, I'm gonna run away and kill myself. But I won't. I can't deal with my problems like that. Thank you, and goodbye, diary. And fuck you, mother. Looking back at the journal entries, what strikes me most is how lost I was during that time and how desperate I was to confide in someone or something. I needed to tell somebody what was happening inside my head, but I wasn't brave enough to share that with another human. Rereading my entries, I clearly viewed my journal as a friend, someone I could confide in, which heightened the betrayal I felt after discovering that my mother had read them. It wasn't until I was older that she admitted to reading them. By that point, I was living a healthier lifestyle and I completely understood why she did what she did. I considered that time in my life to be a very dark period that I never wanted to think about. It was two years after my father had died, which was a deep loss in our family. 
And I've carried so much shame and disappointment in myself about how I responded in the years following his death. But now, having gone through my writing, I see who I was then, and I don't feel that sense of shame anymore. I actually feel empathy for that girl. She behaved the way she did because she was hurting, and it's such a relief to finally let go of that shame and to forgive myself. Yeah, so I do have two kids of my own now, and I think there's huge value in revisiting my childhood writing. Although I'm a few years away from being a parent to teenagers, I think that having those experiences of my own recorded will help me be able to have some level of compassion and understanding for my own kids' journeys through teenagehood. I think any time we want to truly connect with people and even our own children and have meaningful relationships, we have to be able to put ourselves in their shoes. And I think of because of what I went through in my records from that time, that I'll be able to do that. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. A lot of what we hear on stage is funny or cute or weird, but sometimes we hear kid writing that gets at the harder parts of growing up, the darker stuff that's not always easy to talk about. When Harpreet was 15, she kept a diary, and at our Halifax show, she shared a couple of entries, which she says were all about trying to understand depression. A quick heads up, one of these diary entries mentions self-harm. There's your heads up. Here's our point. I didn't finish my entry yesterday because I was too tired. I have an odd feeling that something is wrong with me. I feel so good when I'm at school. I'm able to act like the real me. I love when the day is over, but I dread coming home. I don't know why. Maybe I'm having a lot of bad days, and I mean a lot. Try the whole month of May. I know this feeling of anger, and what's that word? To be scared? Anyway, I'm fine at school, all happy and loud, you know, the normal me. But when I get home, I'm quiet and feeling depressed for some reason. Nothing happens here. I just do my homework, talk on the phone, do housework, and I feel totally out of it. But when I go to school or out to my friend's house and stuff, I'm totally normal. I talk a lot, be loud and obnoxious, and crack a lot of jokes, like I usually do. Right now, I'm in my room by myself, feeling totally depressed, and I feel like crying for no particular reason. I'm also on a major diet. I don't eat much of anything except for yogurt and milk. I rarely eat anything at school or after school or at dinner. I don't know why. I don't know why I'm doing this to myself. I just never feel hungry anymore. I'm always too depressed to eat. I'm afraid something is wrong with me and I don't want to tell mom and dad because they'll probably just say, that's okay, it'll go away. December 7th, 1999. This entry relates to the one I wrote on August 5th, 1999. I talked about suicide and how I wanted to, but never did. But now I actually tried. I took a knife and held it to my wrist, pressed and stopped. I am thinking of trying again. Help me. 
After the show, Harpreet told me that her teenage depression stemmed from body image issues, which is something a lot of teenagers deal with. I was 15. Um, I was developing as a young woman, so I had big breasts, <laughs> um, big hips. I was always shaped a little bit differently um, than anyone in my age group. Because I looked different from everyone, I just thought that I was fat and ugly. I was the, you know, quote-unquote fattest girl in my family, um, you know, cousins and, and stuff like that. So I always got told that I was bigger, you know, oh, Harp, you, you've gained a little weight and I was 15. Of course I did, you know. Um, why did I want to share these, the two stories that I shared? Um, because things change and we all go through these things no matter how old you are. You know, unfortunate for me, I went through that until at least my mid-20s. And it took me so long to be okay with myself. If I could go back in time, what would I say to myself when I was younger? Um, I tell myself that it's okay. It's okay to look different. It's okay to be different. It's okay to say things or do things that not everyone's doing and that you are good enough, no matter what you look like, no matter what you do, no matter what you say, where you grew up, um, who you are. Um, who you are and what you're doing is significant and that's all that matters is just be true to yourself love yourself um and that's going to be okay and i know it's hard to say and hard to believe when you're going through something like that but if i were able to go back and talk to myself face to face i'd say just be strong and just love yourself as, as you are and things are going to turn out fine One of the great things about kid writing is how it can give you a peek inside somebody's head. It can reveal the way they think and how they understand the world. When Caleb was 11, he kept a creative writing notebook for school. And what I love about these creative writing entries is how they pull back the curtain and shed some light on Caleb's childhood creative process. Uh, So basically, I have this writing notebook and here's a list called Ideas for a poem. Music. Quilts. (laughs) The jungle. Nintendo. A rug. So after I brainstormed, uh, here's another page titled, My Rug. Looks like spots, yarn, fabric, dirty, needs a vacuum. Feels like soft but hard. Rough, a thin pillow. And this is in quotes arm skinning. Smells like dirt. Yarn, cleaner, shampoo, doll hair. (laughs) Uh, So here's another list called sunburn. Hurts, peeling, warm, hurts. (laughs) Leather, permanent burn, 
and my teacher just wrote question mark, question mark after permanent burn. <laughs> Uh, and here is another collection of my thoughts about leaving uh, Cuba, where I was on vacation with my mom and my grandmother. My mom's here actually today, so she'll like this. Sad. <laughs> Longing to get home. Miss friends. Hurt. <laughs> Dreary. Leaving paradise. Sort of glad. <laughs> Cry. Been a long two weeks. <laughs> Pack. Gather. Almost forget. Fly away. Say goodbye. All over. The end. recorded today's show in Halifax. And the thing you need to know about Halifax for this next reading is that the public transportation system is called Metro Transit. They run the bus system. When Jennifer was in grade six, she wrote a short story for school and it features an anthropomorphic Halifax city bus named Bridget. It's called Bridget the Bus and it starts with a dedication. So this is for my grandfather for getting me interested in buses is the dedication. (laughs) I grew up in the country. We didn't have buses, but they lived in the city. So May 16th, 1994. Morning, Bridget. It was Jason, Bridget's driver. Is it 530 already? Grown Bridget. Yep, was the reply. You got 20 minutes to get your breakfast. I'm just going to scrape some gum off your seats. Even though Bridget was a fairly new bus, there was gum and other grime all over her already. Five minutes left, Bridget, said Jason. Hurry up. After the five minutes was up, Jason climbed into his seat and told Bridget to start her motor. Now, you must realize that adding to Bridget's worries was the fact that that day was the monthly most interesting person of the day came on me and the most interesting thing of the day happened on me awards were being presented. She really thought that she needed to win one of the awards to be popular. (laughs) At six in the morning, not many people need to go on the bus, so you can imagine Bridget's surprise when she saw Georg Tintner, former conductor of Symphony Nova Scotia, (laughs) standing at a bus stop. (laughs) I hope he gets on me, she thought. Sure enough, Bridget stopped and on walked Georg Tintner. Bridget was very excited. He never took the bus. He always rode his bicycle. (laughs) Georg got off, and Bridget was very hopeful that this would bring her the most interesting person of the day came on me award. (laughs) Bridget had quite a few more passengers before 8 when people started heading for work. By 8.15, Bridget was worried that she wouldn't be able to hold all the people during rush hour. People were standing up holding on, and every seat was full, with people sitting with people that they didn't even know. The noise level was high, and it hurt Bridget's ears. By 9.30, she was relieved of her heavy load. (laughs) Bridget was very excited when she saw a woman with a seeing-eye dog. She was at a multi-route stop, though, so Bridget couldn't be sure that the woman was going to come on her. (laughs) 
When Bridget pulled up to the curb, she asked her dog, what number? The dog responded by barking once. Good boy, let's go. Uh, The next time Bridget got to the bridge terminal, Jason got off for his lunch break, and a female driver named Donna took over for an hour and 15 minutes. (laughs) Bridget liked her brown skin. (laughs) I don't know why that was relevant. Donna said, so Bridget, Jason tells me that your name means strong. It should mean strong but easy to handle. (laughs) Then she laughed. It was a nice laugh. At the Mumford Terminal in Halifax, a woman got on with a large load of parcels. Bridget thought that it might be pillows, but she wasn't sure. (laughs) Two girl guides got on carrying boxes of girl guide cookies. Bridget really wanted a box, but she couldn't really pay for them, so she had to suffer. (laughs) From 2.30 until around 4, it was fairly quiet aboard Bridget. By 4, people started to get off work and head for the restaurants, and by 4.15, Bridget was full and once again worried that she wouldn't be able to hold everyone. Two pregnant women got on, and Bridget felt sorry for them because they had to stand up. Not many people get on and off the bus very late at night, so that gave Bridget even more reason to want to fall asleep. She wished that she had a TV to watch, but she knew that she had impossible dreams. Around 11, some obviously drunk teenagers got on Bridget. They were staggering and talking funnily, but they weren't being disruptive or yelling and swearing. When Bridget got home, everyone was just collecting for the awards ceremony. The contestants wrote their contestants' names on the blackboard. Bridget entered Georg and the blind woman. Then all the buses voted. The most interesting person of the day came on me award goes to Bridget! Everyone cheered. Jason made his way through the crowd towards Bridget. Bridget, he said, you did it, two exclamation marks. The end. Thank you. That is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. Our show was recorded live at the Company House in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and produced by Jenna Meisner. Our music is by Poddington Bear and Lullatone. Olivia Nashmi is our intern. If all of this sounds like fun, why not be part of a live Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids event? We have upcoming shows in Toronto, Saskatoon, Regina, Winnipeg, and Windsor, Ontario. And I would love to hear the things you wrote when you were a kid. For all the details or to sign up to read your own kid writing, visit our website, grownups.fm. That's also where you can listen to past episodes and join our email newsletter. The website one more time, grownups.fm. Or even easier, use the link in the show notes on your device right now. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening.